I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to two places, Acts 17 and 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> Acts 17 and 1 Thessalonians. This morning my desire is to continue with a simple aim that we've been working on since last Sunday, and that is an encouragement to you <clears throat> to cultivate more daily time in God's Word. Okay? Simple aim. To encourage you by looking at the power and impact of Scripture to spend more time in God's Word on a daily basis in your life. Acts 17 and verse 1. <clears throat> when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where, the, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women but the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to attack Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some others before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house, implicating Jason in their work. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And I love the sense of over-exaggeration in their response. Then they made Jason and the others post-bond and let them go. Verse 10 says, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, Arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. <clears throat> Why am I reading Acts 17 if we're going to talk about the book of 1 Thessalonians? Okay, the reason is this. Acts 17 gives us the historical account of the founding of the church in Thessalonica. Okay, Paul goes there. His custom when he gets to a new place is to open up the scriptures and to reason from them concerning the value of Jesus and the gospel of God. Okay, the word that God had given them to change their lives. That's, that's what Paul, he would get into a new city, go to the synagogue, and begin to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This text tells us in verse 2 that he did this for three Sabbaths. So somewhere between two and three weeks, Paul spent in Thessalonica preaching the gospel. There was success that led to jealousy amongst the religious establishment. Perhaps a fear of loss of power, influence, finances. We don't know exactly what their fear was, but we know that there was a strong opposition to this powerful response to the gospel that was given by the Thess Thessalonians. The result of that, as you work from verse 5 down through verse 9, is that there is social pressure. Okay, A mob of brawlers is called together, and they start a riot, and then blame the riot on who? On the Christians that were proclaiming the name of Christ. So as these people began to take hold of the Word of God and it began to bring change, positive change in their lives, there is a, an experience of social pressure. Also, there is physical suffering, verses 5 through 6. 
their desire was to drag them out. By the time you get to verse 6, it says they couldn't find Paul and Silas, so they dragged Jason and some of the others before the city officials. Not to bless them, not to encourage them, but to pressure them and to begin a persecution against them. They are also, verses 7 and 8, politically ostracized. Okay, the charge against them is they deny that Caesar is the final king. And that was true. That was true. What were they saying? Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Okay, and so that was the this stance of the believers was that we can no longer participate in what was called the imperial cult. Okay, and in the imperial cult, what you did is you had to give acknowledgement that Caesar was in fact God's representative or he was in fact himself God. The believers couldn't do that any longer. So in order to destroy the church in Thessalonica, they bring this charge against them, accuse them of starting big problems, which is not what they were doing, but they certainly could no longer give to Caesar final allegiance. Okay? Their profession was that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We'll honor the king as the king, but we will not call him God. Okay, for that, extreme pressure comes. Verse 9, they also face financial pressure. They made Jason and the others postpone, pay bail in order to go free. So there was a financial loss also attached to their following. And then what happens? Verse 10 tells us because of this pressure that was coming against the church, Paul and Silas are forced to leave. They go to Berea and begin to do again exactly what they had done at Thessalonica. Okay, fearless proclamation of the word of God. Okay, now here's the question that comes in your mind. How will an infant church do if they're experiencing the blessing of the teaching of God's word for somewhere between two and three weeks, three Sabbaths, the ones who had brought them the message of Christ, who they were relying on, are gone because of the pressure. They sent them away. Okay, and the question that Paul has to have in his mind as he goes is, how will these young, how will this infant church do? This newborn church of Christ. How will they do? What will come of this church? Now, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to seek to answer this question. How will a young church do without the leaders who had brought them to faith in Christ? Okay, how will they do? 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13 is the verse that I'd like to focus your attention on. 13 and 14. Here's what Paul says. We also thank God continually. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you brothers became imitators of God, I'm sorry, imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews. Okay, now here's what I want to do. I want to look at from this simple set of verses, 13 and 14. I want to make some observations about the nature of the word of God and its relationship to the stability that is present in the church of Thessalonica. Okay, so they come to faith in Christ. They experience severe persecution. How how will they stand in that pressure as new believers without good, strong 
mature spiritual leaders? That's the question that I think this text in some ways aims to answer. So I want us to look at their response, their understanding of God's word. So verse 13, Paul says, We also thank God continually because, and notice this, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. The word of God. Okay, so let's make four simple observations from these verses. Number one is this. In the Bible, God has spoken. Okay, that was when the Thessalonians heard the truth and the Spirit of God activated belief, what happened? They received what was being shared with them, arguing, go back to Acts 17, Paul reasoned from the Scriptures. When they heard those Scriptures concerning Christ, they accepted it not as the word of men recorded, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Okay, so they understood that in the Bible, God is speaking, which is to say what? The source of Scripture is God Himself. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul kind of captures this thought. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is, in fact, the words of God. That was the New Testament understanding of the book that's laying on your lap this morning. Okay, it is, in fact, the words of God. The result of that, Paul says, is that it is, it is useful to change your life. So in the Bible, God has spoken, which means this. There is a difference between my opinions about God and the Word of God. So when you talk to people, can I encourage you to do something? Make sure you share with them the Word of God, which effectively works in those who believe. Okay, because when the Bible speaks, God is speaking. Now, the next kind of observation that Paul makes in this verse is this. Notice what it says. He says, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. Okay, this is fascinating to me. Okay, they, when they heard it, they acknowledged this is the word of God. Its source is God himself. But how did that word from God come to people that were in need of the good news of Christ? How does it always come? His truth comes through human messengers. Okay, that's the second thought. So when the Bible speaks, God is speaking. Okay, but His truth comes through human messengers. They heard it as an audible message from Paul. They sat in the synagogue as Paul reasoned from the Scriptures and were receiving and hearing actually the words of God. Folks, that is amazing. We can speak... On behalf of God to people when we communicate the truth of Scripture. That is an amazing privilege. So understand this. Our opinions are weak. They vacillate. They change. The Word of God endures for what? Forever. Okay, so when you have the opportunity to talk to someone, be sure that you get past your opinions and begin to share with people, thus saith the Lord. Because that word of God has power. Here's how Peter understood the Bible. As a human messenger of it. Peter said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of the scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For no prophecy had its origin in the will of man. 
But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's Peter's understanding of the scriptures. That when they're presented, they are representing God himself. That is an amazing and powerful thought. Now it leads me to this kind of an observation. When we speak God's words, we are speaking for God. Okay, so we need to make sure that we understand his word so that we can communicate it with others. Another truth that emerges, though, is this. When we live God's truth, we're speaking for God. Okay, when we speak God's truth, we're speaking for God. And when we allow that truth to transform us, we are speaking for God. And I want you to look back into chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 7. Okay, after receiving the truth of God's word, Paul can reflect on their relationship to him and the word of God. He says, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The word of God, the message of the Lord rang out from you. Okay, the idea is that there is a clap of thunder and there is an echo that goes forth. The word of God, it's the idea. The word of God in Thessalonica is ringing out from them. It's emanating from them. Okay, they received it through a human messenger. They became human communicators of that same truth. How? They allowed it to bring transformation into their lives. And as they were changed, the word of God was going forth through their lives. One theology professor said this. He said, preaching slash evangelism is truth through personality. Okay, preaching and evangelism are Truth communicated through personality. What is he saying? He's saying that humans become the agents that communicate God's truth through their lives. Okay, and so as we live the word of God and as we share the word of God, it begins to change people. It has an influence, an effect on people. This is one of, I think, the most amazing and humble privileges that we as Christians have. That we can, in fact be the human agents or human messengers through which God desires to speak. And this is what Paul is saying. You heard the message of truth from us. It was audibly communicated. And when it went forth in Thessalonica, it brought about serious change amongst prominent and regular people. Many believed. And then Paul is forced to leave. Another observation I would make from this text is this. His truth is to be welcomed by the help of God. Okay, now notice how this is stated in in verse 13, okay? God's truth is to be welcomed with the help or by the help of God. He says, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Okay, it is, it is, at work, it is an active agent. But what did they do? Okay, they welcomed the word of God. And when they spread open their arms and welcomed and received the word of God, what was its effect? It began to change them. Okay, and here's the way the Old Testament says it. It says, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Okay, which is to say what? When I hear the voice of God speaking, my heart should be, God, speak to me. Open my ears. Dig out my ears. Make them clear. That's the way the psalmist says it. Ears you have dug for me. You have opened my ears to hear your word. 
So when we hear it, we need to be sure that we are responsive to what God is saying. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 4. Chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. How does Paul know that God has chosen the believers in Thessalonica? Because our gospel came to you, that is the good news about Christ, through the word of God, came to you not simply with words. Okay, now remember what he said. Okay, he said, the word that you received is the word you heard. So they heard it. But was simply hearing the word of God enough to bring about lasting change? He says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, that is audible hearing, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Okay, and that is this kind of a summary that Paul gives. And then in verse... Okay, and then he says, for you know how we lived among you for your sake. Okay, so what's happening? Okay, the word of God was heard by, by the believers in Thessalonica. It was activated by the power of the Spirit and entered into the hearts of those that were believing. Okay, so the welcoming of God's word in this context means to believe it and to receive it and say, God, allow this to affect and bring change in my life. In hearing God's word or Paul's words, they heard the word of God. If you were to turn to Acts 16 or verse 14, you'll find the word of God says this. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe and receive the things that Paul was saying. Okay, so this, the word of God is communicated and when it is welcomed, what has happened? The spirit of God has turned on the light so that that truth has become for that individual believer a believable message from God. And so as the heart opens up and is broken down by the power and presence of the spirit of God, that's what Paul's saying in chapter 1. Okay, this word was accompanied by conviction and the power of the Spirit, meaning the unaided human heart doesn't say, I want God's truth. The unaided human heart resists God's truth. But the Spirit of God comes to do what? To soften and to bring conviction and to open us so that we would say to God, God, I welcome your truth into my life. That's how Paul describes what happens to the church in Thessalonica. They experienced something that theologians call illumination. Okay? Many people, last night, I was told that uh, John 3.16 was communicated in a television commercial during a football game. Okay? Everybody saw those words that was watching that commercial. Okay? Does it mean that everybody who saw those words received them? Okay? The answer is obvious. Okay, so when does someone receive them? Here's when someone receives them. When the, when the Spirit of God brings power and conviction and all of a sudden, that truth that they've heard all their life, they want it. It makes sense. Now, how does it happen? We communicate the Word of God over and over and over and over again. That's what Paul's doing. As was his custom, he argued reason from the Old Testament Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And he would do that over and over. Not everybody in Thessalonica loved and received the message that Paul communicated. Some did. Paul says, why did you receive it? Because the Word of God came upon you in power and in deep conviction by the Spirit. Okay, and what did he do? He opened up your mind and all of a sudden, that truth that you rejected, that truth that you were dead to, becomes alive and living and active and it begins to bring transformation in those that believed it and welcomed it. And I just want to say something like this, that understanding of God's word, 1 Corinthians 2.14, 
is, is coming as the Spirit of God is making sense of truth that I would otherwise reject. Okay, he's opening up. He's clarifying. This is for you. That's the power and conviction that the Spirit of God brings. And I would say to you this morning, if you have heard the Gospel of Christ, if you hear His voice as a non-Christian, believe, trust Him. And if as a Christian you're hearing His voice, don't harden your heart. Okay, open your heart to what God wants to do. This word that He wants you to welcome is a precious gift. And the last thing that, that Paul says is that this word, verse 13, that you accepted is, last, part of, last phrase of verse 13, it is at work in you who believe. Okay, so in the Bible, God has spoken. His truth comes through human agency. His truth is to be responded to. And when you respond to God's word and say, God, I am willing by the Spirit, He begins to bring transformation and change, powerful change, into your life. When the Bible is believed, God works in and changes you. Now this is a fascinating phrase. Okay, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. The word at work simply means and it's energeo in the Greek. It means to energize or to actively bring about change. It's all of a sudden that word that was sitting on the page takes up resonance in the heart by the Spirit and it begins to change and to reshape values and convictions and desires. Okay, that's the, the power of the Word of God. It's like a hammer, Jeremiah says. It breaks hard rock into pieces. Okay, so the Word of God came there by the Spirit with conviction and as a result of them hearing it as the Word of God through a human agency, welcoming it, it was beginning to change and alter their very existence. That's why Paul in Romans 1.16 would later say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The same idea here. That power of God is experienced by those who believe the Word of God as they are aided by the Spirit to understand and to comprehend it. And when God does that, He begins to bring about massive change. This is what happens in this church. Chapter 1, verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe sufferings, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And once again, you see the work of God there. Okay, you received it. It brought joy. Okay, it brought change, it brought happiness. So that verse 7, you became a model to the believers in Macedonia, and in Achaia, the Lord's message began to ring out from you. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. That is an amazing thing to me. The change, and what, what kind of people were they? Well, if, if you went to the city of Thessalonica in the ancient times, you would find that it was a pagan city, very typical, full of idolatry, and the imperial cult held the greatest power. That's the ancient world. And when they turned away from it, so strong was the belief in the pagan system that they attracted to themselves deep persecution for being unwilling to say, Caesar is Lord. Okay, but they were willing to endure that that pressure, financial, political, social. Why? Because God had changed their hearts. They didn't care what people thought about them. Because the word of God had come in power and had been a transformational influence in their lives. 
And I would say this this morning, that the transforming power of the gospel authenticates and proves its divine origin. Okay, because when the word of God is accepted, when it is believed, what does it do? It brings about change. Now, my desire this morning is this. My desire this morning is to look at this verse, make these simple observations as a means of encouraging us to do what? To be in the word of God. Okay, the only explanation that Paul has for the drastic change in the city of Thessalonica is what? The word of God under the power of the spirit of God was changing them. How is your relationship this morning with the Word of God? Paul says this in 2 Timothy. He says, Timothy, reflect on what I say, and the Lord will give you insight and understanding in all of this. I say, folks, here's the problem. We, we may spend time reading the Word of God, but it's not changing us. Why? Because we're not reflecting on and meditating on the Word of God. We're not, after we get done reading, saying, okay, God, here's the truth I'm going to take with me through the day that I'm going to fix my mind on and allow to settle into my heart, into my belief system, so that my life can be transformed by this truth. If you allow the Word of God to settle in, I believe it will affect you. Based upon this text, I can show you two ways that it will affect you. Okay? And, and one I've already touched. Okay? One is in verse 9. It will transform you. Okay, you get into the Word of God and you allow its truth to begin to direct your steps. I mean, think of specific commands and specific actions that God is putting on your heart to do. Begin to do it and you will experience a transformation. Okay, a transformation that begins a conversion, born again by the Word of the Spirit, 1 Peter 1.23. But that transformation, that change, that conversion is something that is to last throughout the rest of our life. That's what God's aim and intention is. It will also do this for you. It will produce joy and hope. If you go back to verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, we always thank God for all of you when we mention you in our prayers. Why? Because when the word of God came, it brought transformation and it also produced for the observers hope and joy. Okay, this is, for, for me, just one of the greatest privileges of being a Christian is to see someone come to faith in Christ. Okay, and to watch their joy. Okay, that's what the Word of God does. It produces a sense of joy and it also produces a sense of hope. So, in verse 6, Paul can say this. You became imitators of God with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 of chapter 2. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which is effectively working in you who believe. It is accompanied always as it brings change by a deep joy. Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. Paul says, for now we really live. Meaning our life has been taken up. You know how you... I don't know if you've ever been in, in a situation where you're enjoying something you have never enjoyed before and you look at someone beside you and say, now this is living. Okay, this is living. Okay, meaning, man, we just took it up a notch. That's how Paul, when he looks at the believers in Thessalonica, he says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Now, what had happened? The Word of God had come into their lives and it had brought massive transformation. Paul's looking at that and saying, we have such joy. When we think about God, about how God 
has changed you. I was talking with Karen Alpaw and Steve the other night. Had them over for dinner. I was just enjoying some fellowship with them along with some other friends. And Karen was sharing with us how the word of God that morning, the day after her dad passed away, had ministered to her heart. Here's what was fascinating to me. It was not the traditional promises that we throw out to people. It was a way that God was seeking to bring change in her heart, bring freedom in her heart. How? By the word of God. Okay, and what did she have? In, the, in, 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 in a situation of sorrow and sadness, losing her dad. You know what she had? She had a smile on her face, mixed with tears, grieving and rejoicing. In what? In the truth of God's word. Okay, that, that's what the word of God will do for you. That's what the word of God will do for you. It will bring joy and hope in seasons of struggle. This church was hurting, folks. They had struggled. Paul was deeply concerned for them. But they had a joy. Psalm 119.65 says this, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing will offend them. Okay, why? Because those truths of God's word are settling into their lives and bringing a sense of hope and joy. We also know from this text that the word of God stabilizes you in seasons of testing. Okay? It stabilizes. It, when the world is shaking your world, your circumstances, the word of God does what? It will settle you. Listen, listen to what happens. Verse 17 of chapter 2, Paul's thinking about the church in Thessalonica, and he says, but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. We wanted to come to you. Okay, what is Paul saying? I wanted to be there to strengthen you and to encourage you. Why? He'll get down to verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, when I could stand it no longer, this longing to see you, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in what? In spreading the gospel of Christ. Why did Paul send Timothy to the church in Thessalonica? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith. That is to lay a stronger foundation. Why? Because he knew that they were going through a season of struggle. Lay a foundation, verse 3, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Okay, why is Paul concerned for the church in Thessalonica? They were newborn babes in Christ who were experiencing incredible pressures listed in Acts 17. He's wondering how they're doing. Verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, I finally came to a place where I couldn't stand it any longer. I had to send someone. Okay, what was his purpose in sending Timothy? To stabilize them in an unstable world. To bring calm and peace and shalom into their lives. What was Paul afraid of? Okay, verse 5 tells us what Paul was afraid of. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, cut in on you, and that our efforts might have become useless. I was afraid that all that we had seen done would come to nothing. Okay, and what, what does Paul do? Paul says, I sent Timothy, a minister of the gospel, who was given the charge, 2 Timothy 4.1, preach the word, Timothy, share God's truth. Why? Because that word will transform, it will bring hope and joy, it will bring stability, endurance. 
into the life of God's children. All right, that is the that is the message, that is the encouragement that the Apostle Paul is giving. The Word of God transforms, it brings hope and joy, and it stabilizes in seasons of great testing. Okay, folks, that's the promise I can give you this morning. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like what? Will be like a wise man who builds a house on a strong foundation. And when you build on that foundation, what happens? The Word of God will bring, in a, in a climate of moral ambiguity and confusion, where people don't know right from wrong, left hand from right hand, what does the Word of God do? It brings stability. It packs the ground under your feet. It will make you strong and stable. That, to me, is an unbelievable blessing. Okay, but it, the thing that I think I have to say is the caveat is this. It only does that. Not when it is known. Okay, but when it is applied to the very situations of our lives. Okay, it's not when it's here. It's when it's here that, here that it begins to change us. So, if I can say that this is what the Word of God will do, if it can bring this kind of encouragement, then I, it leaves me with a question. Okay, and the question it leaves me with is this. Okay, if we can look at the story of the Thessalonians, if we can see Paul saying, man, you received it as the word of God, not as the word of men. It is effectively at working you. It is changing you. It is stabilizing you. It is giving joy. It is giving stability in your life. Then why don't we read it? Okay, why is it that only 25% of evangelical Christians have a regular habit of being in God's word? I'll give you a couple suggestions. One could simply be this. We're lazy. I live in a culture that likes things easy. Really easy. Okay? And I'm, I, am, I am a committed member of that culture. Okay? I'd rather stop at Dunkin' Donuts and get a cup of coffee than make my own. Okay? Why? I'm lazy. Okay? I just, I like the convenience. It takes discipline to be in God's word. But when I look at the benefits that it gives, I say, why aren't we doing this more regularly and faithfully? It may be laziness. Sometimes I think it's that we just lack desire. And so my aim this morning is what? Look at what the Word of God did in this church as they understood it and as it changed them. And let that well up in your heart the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things out of your law. What is the psalmist saying? God, open, make my eyes big to receive truth. Give them a longing for it. We lack desire. Another reason may be that we lack a plan. Okay, now look, I can respond to the lack of desire by saying, look at what God's word did for these people. Look at the change that it brought. In, in an utterly pagan culture, it brought absolute acknowledgeable transformation that emanated, that echoed like a thunderclap throughout the ancient world. Paul could say, I go to places and I don't even need to speak the truth of God's word because they're in a buzz about how the gospel has changed you. He doesn't even need to speak. Why? Because the truth is being communicated, communicated through personality, through the change that God brought in a pagan city. It just, it, it, was, it was transformational. I think often we simply do this. We simply lack a plan. 
we don't have, and we haven't made the decision to schedule into our lives time in God's Word. Okay, and so this morning I would encourage you to have a plan. Okay, I, I'm watching a couple months ago in my backyard, as I watch every year, squirrels feverishly collecting walnuts. Okay, you know what they're doing? They're planning for today. Okay, when I was driving to the office this morning, the temperature was about 9 degrees. Okay, it's hard to find food when it's 9 degrees. Fresh food. Okay, so what do the squirrels do? Well, when fall comes and the walnuts start falling to the ground in my backyard, they start hiding them everywhere. I can sit in my kitchen, look out the sliding glass door, and see them hiding them in the pine trees. It's one of the funniest things because I'm like, okay, should I go out and take it out of the tree? Okay, they climb up inside and they stick them on the branches. You know what they're doing? They're planning ahead. They're storing up what is necessary to sustain them. They understand that. Proverbs talks about how the ants do the same thing. They store up. They have a plan to provide for the hard times that they know are coming. May God help us. As His church, to have a plan and to have a desire. Here's one of the most fascinating things to me. At the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13 Paul, as an old man sitting in prison, facing the end of his life, writes a letter to Timothy. It's the last letter he's going to write. He's coming to the end. Things are winding down. His usefulness, he knows, is going to be terminated very soon. He writes to Timothy, and here's what he says. He says, Timothy, I want you to come, meaning I want your fellowship. And when you come, bring my coat. I'm cold. You know what he says next? He says... And bring the parchments. Okay? Here's a guy that has most of it probably memorized. He writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, when you come, bring the word of God. Now folks, listen. If at the end of his life, Paul could say, Timothy, bring me the word of God. It is precious to me. Okay, then shouldn't we crave, desire, and plan for this book to make a difference in our lives, to transform us? And could it not be part of the answer to why we are often very anemic in our spiritual life? Because we're not eating spiritual food. And we're wondering, why do I feel so weak? Okay, when I'm at the office at 2.30 in the afternoon and I say, you know what, I feel a little shaky, a little weak. You know what comes to my mind? I forgot to eat lunch. I know that comes to most of you as a complete shock and surprise that that could even happen, but it does. Okay, you know what I do when I feel that weak and shaky and anemic? I go get something to eat. And when I eat, what happens? Energy, life, it revives. It's like coming back from the dead sometimes. Look, it's Paul saying, Timothy, when you come, bring me my necessities. One of my necessities is the parchments, the Old Testament copies of Scripture. And I think to myself, if Paul needed that, if Paul knew that he needed that, then there may be a chance that the chapel at Warren Valley needs that. There may be a chance that Tim Hoff needs that. And there are so many ways that you can get the Word of God. I'm just encouraging you, turn off one thing and turn on another thing. Okay? Spend some time in the Word of God. I'll give you two simple statistics. Okay? If you started to read the New Testament, on any given week in the year, and you said, okay, five days a week, I'm going to read a chapter of the New Testament. Okay? You commit to doing that for a year. Five days a week. You read through the New Testament in a year. 
There may be a lot of us sitting here. Some of you may have to say, you know what? I've never read through the New Testament. I know it could be that easy. You know the Bible recordings that you can get on CDs? Most of them have the Bible read all the way through in 76 hours. The Bible read all the way through in 76 hours. Okay, if you spend two hours a day watching TV, okay, and you do that 30 days a month, roughly speaking, okay, you can do the math. And you can realize that in the process of a year, you could read through the Word of God with just a few simple changes in your lifestyle and pattern. You see, I, as I said last week, my goal is not to make you feel guilty about not reading the Bible. My goal is to create in you a desire by these accounts in Scripture for the Word of God. Because when you start to engage with it and study it and then take a piece and think about it and then share it with a friend, you will find that it becomes your very life. Okay, so I encourage you. You may have to go to God today and say, God, I have to confess, I don't have a pattern of being in your word on a regular basis. My spiritual life is anemic. Now I know why. Read these stories. Read how the word of God brought great impact and change. And just commit yourself. Say, God, I need to have a plan. Give me a desire by the Spirit, and I'll make a plan. Okay, and let the Word of God dwell in you richly. It will change you. And the Spirit of God will then have that tool to wield in your life to make you the man, to make you the woman, to make you the young person that He wants you to be. Okay, it is so vital that we cultivate this relationship with the Word of God. Father, as we conclude our study in your word this morning, I realize, Lord, that there may be a few people here who would have to say, my heart is not awake, it is not alive to the truth of God's word. And Father, for those